0: welcome back to the deep share podcast and i have with me shane newsome what's up shane
1: what's up everybody thanks for having me andy
0: absolutely i like to i like to bring shane on when the conversation will definitely gain from his presence and uh, i think this will be <laughs> one of those conversations so uh, right. a while back i was lucky enough to go on a wonderful podcast called the melt podcast and i would love to introduce my friends chris and hunter from the melt podcast do the deep share what's going on guys it's, wow.
2: it's going great it's doing fantastic thank you so much for having us on
0: Absolutely. And I know we had a pretty uh, fun conversation the last time we got together on your show. So I figured we'd have another one here for sure. Let's do it. (laughs) So for my audience that may not be familiar with your podcast, tell us a little bit about how you guys got started and tell us a little bit about yourselves.
2: You want to go first or do you want to do it? Go for it. Okay. When was it? I guess 2018, 2018, summer of 2018. I started, I was listening to a lot of, uh, I was actually the main podcast I was listening to that it kind of pushed me in the direction of doing my own was the Duncan Trussell Family Hour. Likewise. And, yeah. Me <laughs> <E3>. three. Cool. <laughs> cool. Well, what, I, what I liked about it is that he wasn't, he didn't trap himself to a certain kind of subject matter so mm-hmm. he would have stand-up comics on he would have uh uh other people i can't think of chaos magicians satanists like lots and lots and lots of different people people who studied dreams all kinds of people and i was like wow so there must people actually must be interested in all this stuff or this guy wouldn't have such a popular podcast because i'm interested in this stuff so I would love to be able to do this, but I actually started off thinking that I would just have people on to tell their stories about their experiences and not necessarily people that have written books or done research or anything like that, but just everyday folk. So I kind of started putting my feelers out, kind of just was tossing around ideas in my mind. And I was thinking, well, maybe I can do a combo of both. Maybe I can have stories and then maybe interviews, too, with people. So. I started contacting people and I recorded maybe five or six different episodes. And this was, I was on my own at this point. And, uh, you know, I, I was a, a little shaky as far as starting the interview pro- process. And I'd done zines before in the past and I had interviewed people, but never sort of like in real time on the spot, it was always transcribed and in some little Xerox magazine or something like that. So it was a different, uh, I was it was outside of my comfort zone, let's just say that. So I had to sort of build my confidence up. And I had some guests that were fantastic. And I had some guests that were kind of so so and, but I was, you know, I kind of by by trial and uh, trial by fire, I've kind of figured out sort of the direction that I wanted to go in. And then That is shortly after that time is when Hunter came into my life. We crossed paths in a very interesting way that I won't necessarily go into right now unless prompted. And uh, she ended up moving from L.A. to where I'm at in Lawrence, Kansas, and now where we're at. And I actually had the podcast for probably two years after that, after you came along. One, two years, something like that.
3: Somewhere around there. Yeah. We can go back and look.
2: And I was just uh, I was just doing it by myself and she was very interested in these topics, too, which was fantastic because, you know, she was a partner, not only that uh, I vibed with on lots of different levels, but we could talk about all kinds of crazy out there stuff and not and realize that we had a safe place to do it. None of right. neither of us are going to call the other one crazy or. Oh, it's such a good it, feeling. It is. It oh is yeah. I didn't realize how important that was until Hunter came along, and and so, but actually, a couple of years went by, and I was like, "Why the fuck don't you come on my podcast too?" I think I would thought about it before, but I thought that she would outshine me. Dutch, uh, <laughs> a. Fantastic, quick wit, quick mind, uh, very inquisitive person. She can articulate much better than I can. And uh, so I was like, maybe I should, I don't know. God, she would just take over the show. She'd be great. I'm suck. Like (laughs) my confidence kind of dwindled a little bit, but then she said, fuck it. And I asked her if she would, she said yes. And, uh, and it's been incredible. Like we're a great team. I usually am the one that does all the research and she kind of just comes in blindly, which worked out well that's me and Andy. yeah <laughs> <laughs> who's, the, who's the blind one yeah <laughs> I, mean,
0: I mean i still like to be blind on a lot of
2: things too <laughs> sure. yeah yeah so i mean and lots of times that can really help so because she can have beginner's mind she doesn't have a like a preset agenda or a loose agenda to go into an interview with so We've been doing it that way, and it's been incredible. It's been a lot of fun, and we've been having great conversations with lots of people.
0: Yeah, you guys absolutely work great together on the show. Uh, I think you are, you know, you guys are, You, yeah, like one of you will articulate something while the other one's trying to think of it. Like that happened a lot of times on our podcast together. You know, you guys are finishing each other's sentences half the time. So it works out really well when you have a partnership like that. It translates into something like this, you know. It's ch- it can be challenging. So that's really cool. Really cool. And you yeah, guys have been going pretty strong for a while.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Do you have anything to add to that? To that? Well, so- I,
3: before I met Chris <laughs> and I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this now that I co-host a podcast, but before I met Chris, I'd never even listened to a podcast. I didn't know what <laughs> podcasts were. I knew nothing about them. I, I had a very weird childhood and growing up. And so I kind of grew up in the uh, just in the conspiracy world. I cut my teeth on conspiracy from the time I was an infant. So that world was very uh, known to me. But I came from a world of secrets where you didn't really talk about this stuff with normies or they can, you know, with what we would consider the consensus reality. So I lived very much double life my whole childhood. And so when Chris and I got together and he was talking to people, I was like, you know, the you know, there's going to be people at our door, and what if the fucking government comes <laughs> and they're get that. us? And, you know, so because I had grown up in a world of secrets, and you know, my grandfather helped start the NSA, and so I learned from a childhood. You just don't talk about certain things. And, and so your
2: mom was very paranoid too. My
3: mom was incredibly paranoid and she was a Rosicrucian and, you wow. know, did all kinds of witchcraft and shit when I was a kid. And my father came from a, a, witchy family on his mother's side and so in my world you just didn't speak about these things they just were part of you who you were in the fabric of your family but you didn't share this stuff with the public and so I got into the Carlos Castaneda world, again, it's a world of secrets and double lives and living more than one identity. And and so that was very comfortable for me. And I remember kind of observing Chris and having him having these amazing conversations with people and thinking, you know, is our phone going to get tapped? Like, are we,
2: <laughs> are we <only> <laughs> is, us? is our phone going to get more tapped?
3: Yeah, exactly. How many more lists are we going to be on? So I feel like that was where I was maybe a little bit more hesitant to dive into uh, the general public and kind of put myself out there in that way. Mm. And, you know, he had Tracy Twyman on his show. He was the last person to interview Tracy before she died. And so again, I'm one of these people that I was like, you know, what is that going to bring attention to us? Is that a bad thing? You know, we have kids that from Chris's previous relationship. So I, I had concerns, but You know, a few years in, I was like, okay, well, you know, nothing seems to really be happening. Our our tires aren't getting slashed. We're not really being extra followed or anything. So okay, this is cool.
2: No voice to skull technology. Well, there's always that. That's (laughs) all
3: to some degree or the other. The headaches, you know, the you know, the voice of God stuff. But Mm -hmm. I just love it. I love his curious mind and the people that he is interested in are people that I have always wanted to talk to. And the fact that he has such bravery and courage to reach out to people where I'm I'm just like this person's never going to write me back. So what? <laughs> I waste my time to send them an email because they're never going to write me back. And he gets responses from really incredible people. And so we've had mm-hmm. some great people on the show and I totally approach it from beginner's mind. So he's like the professor and he does all the research and sure. notes and, and I'm, I'm just like, you're lucky if I've showered. (laughs) I just basically show up and I'm like, okay, so who are we talking to? What's this about? Like, what are we doing? And I I think initially he would kind of try to nudge me towards doing research. And I said, what I don't want is ask the same question that someone's been asked 50 fucking times. I don't want to be a person. So I'm the person who's like, are you happy? Like, how does this affect your family? Or, you know, and I ask weird questions to remarkable people. And so it kind of, we balance each other out in that way. So the stuff that people want to hear, they get to hear from Chris. And then they get this other weird side of someone that maybe no one's ever asked that question before. So that's excellent.
0: That's really good. Did we get the
3: job? chain absolutely
0: yeah definitely um yeah i'm not even sure what we should start off with here but i'm just really glad to talk to you guys again and i think yeah the what you're describing is a really good way to to approach it i mean you have kind of two different perspectives working at the same time and that's a good way to do it you know okay. um so I know that we connected particularly over a lot of our psychedelic uh, notions and and experiences and things like that, and um, yeah, I personally have come a long way in the world of psychedelics and like who my heroes were and still might be or not anymore, you know. And and we touched on that a little bit. I was just curious what your take on the, you know, the modern push for psychedelics and the medical industry and what's going on. And it seems like it's uh, manufactured in a way that us crazy conspiracy theorists don't really like usually. I know we touched on this before in our previous encounter, but yeah, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that.
3: Well, quickly, I feel like I'm having a psychedelic experience looking at Shane's background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I you I'm have no intervene. idea how many times we have we have that reaction. I feel like
0: you're gonna give people flashbacks. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
3: well, it's uh, to me a flashback is just a Tuesday. Like that's just kind of a normal state that I'm in. So if I stare at that too long, I'm I start to go into an, an altered state. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! That everlasting control. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I am in the uh, psychological world right now. I'm studying to be a clinical psychologist and I've seen this push in the past few years for psychedelics. And Mm. it seems, uh, you know, in some regards, I think what's great about it is that it's bringing plant medicine into a conversation that perhaps has been uh, fringe or seemed fringe for many, many decades. Mm. So in that regard, I think it's great. Do I think everyone should be on psilocybin all the time? Absolutely fucking not. Someone's (laughs) got to make the roads. Someone's got to keep the infrastructure going. I think that there are people who are capable of handling psychedelics and there are people that are not. I don't think Mm -hmm. you should give them to infants. I don't think you should give them to children. I think that there are very specific controlled situations where it's okay for the elderly to take them, um, people who are getting at end of life who maybe have cancer or other uh, diseases they need to kind of handle that transition. So yes, I think that psychedelics have a place in our culture. Do I think that the government needs to have a hand in that and needs to synthesize plant medicines? absolutely not i think right. if big pharma gets involved it's putting the kibosh on something that should be coming from someone's garden coming from you know a cow patty in your paddock you know something it, it's an organic substance that needs to remain in that state
0: i totally agree hundred percent, chris how do you feel man
3: uh, I think that the problem
2: with that is that, yeah, sure. I don't think masses of people should be on these things just like masses of people shouldn't be snake handlers. Like it's just, it's something that you need to come to semi organically, especially if you're uh, dealing with something really, really potent a really potent psychedelic completely out of any sort of cultural context or lineage or anything like that. You're just freewheeling it and you're going to take it before you go to world's of fun or something like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't work you sh- there should be you know not guidelines in the sense of really staunch uh immovable rules but um it should be approached obviously with some sort of respect and not done recreationally um so yeah i mean i think that's the it's a good reason that magical organizations are probably better left obscure and small is because Not everybody should have access to not not just shouldn't have access to it, but shouldn't partake of it uh, like, you know, like you're in a shopping mall. You just happen to come across the store that sells mushrooms like, Mm. well, I thought about doing that, Nancy. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's do that. Yeah. 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 That's not how you that's not how you should approach something like that because you're, you know. You have to be grounded first and foremost. You should take the time to do the research as to what it is that you're getting into, or maybe the history of what it is that you're you're wanting to take, mm. and just do it as mindfully as possible. So, I think <laughs> when it's, things are legalized or at least decriminalized, it's too easy to 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 take it for granted and to just do it on a whim, uh, mm. and that may work for some. Something people.
0: of this magnitude, especially, yeah,
2: yeah, uh, for sure.
0: If we're
1: going this angle, sorry to interrupt, I I would say the same thing about uh, edible cannabis. For sure. It can be extremely psychedelic. Absolutely. And for somebody who's never, you know, consumed cannabis before and somebody is like, yeah, eat the whole bag, 100 milligrams. exactly.
2: Right.
0: Mm, Right. I think it seems that it could be the most advanced form of medicine because it's the most ancient as well. But like, let's just frame it in our context where it's like the most advanced thing. It seems to be solving a lot of problems, yet it's coming into our culture, almost being pushed, it seems in a lot of ways, um, irresponsibly sometimes towards the most irresponsible form of culture we've ever had, which has... Mm -hmm seemingly been programmed to be very childlike. And uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a question in there, but go ahead. I cut you off.
3: <laughs> no, not at all. I I think that uh, I would put the caveat that I think they can be used recreationally. I think that there are some of my finest, greatest moments have been using recreational psychedelics. Uh, I don't think you can get addicted to psychedelics. I think no. that's pretty well been proven. Right. Uh, but I think that reading other people's experiences and this is from my perspective, I think that's dangerous. I don't think you can, the plant either accepts you or it doesn't accept you. And I think when you go in with a file that's like, okay, this is the cannabis file or this is the psilocybin file. And then you're kind of prepped for that experience. Then you're, you are already kind of writing what the story is of that, uh, substance. And sometimes I think it's better again, and this is maybe just how I roll the beginner's mind of just allowing that substance to go inside your body and seeing if that accepts you or you accept it. Because I do think that there's a symbiotic relationship there. But if I take LSD and I've read, well, if I take 17 hits, I'm going to go crazy. And, you know, this fear that was going around in the 70s and 80s that it made you clinically insane if you took it. I think that primed a lot of people to be freaked out about taking psychedelics when there was a reason and a rationale behind that. If you have mental health issues, if you're borderline personality, bipolar, schizophrenic, Mm -hmm. of course you should not be taking psychedelic drugs. There's reasons why just chemically your body is not capable of handling going on a a journey like that. So Mm -hmm. I think that again, it's on, on an ad hoc basis. We can't say across the board, you know, this should be, there should be a psilocybin shop on every corner. Everyone should be able to have access to these uh, substances because I've seen what happens. I lived in California when cannabis was legalized. And, you know, there was a period of time where, you saw little, you know, those little like airplane-sized bottles of booze. Yeah, you used to see those all over, like just kind of trash, garbage that's been dropped. Now it's these little uh, pharmaceutical bottles that people can buy. You know, either. You know, pre rolls or just a few edibles. You see that shit all over the The place. The little
0: plastic guys. They look like, yeah, Yeah. everywhere. They look like cigar Garcia Vega cartons. Yeah,
3: it can be that, or actually looks like a pharmaceutical bottle. Mm. So again, it's it's this idea that, okay, we've medicalized this thing, but who are the people who are using these substances and are they being responsible with these substances or is it just this fuck it attitude? Like booze gives you the fuck it attitude where you drink this thing and then you just throw it and you're like, fuck it. You know? So I think it's just a level of responsibility when it comes to any, mind altering substance, whether that be sugar, whether that be cannabis, whether that be alcohol that I think we have lost in our society, in our, in our culture. So I don't know what the answer to fix this is. I don't know how to fix.
0: (laughs) Excuse me. Yeah. I often say like, we're having these, we're having these ancient answers pop up in this very modern culture. And it's like incongruent right now. Mm And maybe this is the weird birth pangs of like the, the transitional period and psychedelics always seems to be like, uh, in my opinion, one of the central issues uh, for people that don't use psychedelics, it is left field or Mm -hmm. evil and satanic. You know what I mean? But for those of us who have had the experience, I do say the experience Shane knows what I'm talking about. And (laughs) I think you guys do too, because It's a place. It's a familiar thing. It's a deep inside feeling. It's, it's everything. But um, those of us who have had that kind of have this, I don't know, I guess from the outside point of view, it must seem cult-like to even if enough of us got together and talked about it. Mm -hmm. And we would seem just as crazy as, or scary as those that we often uh, talk about negatively or fearfully in the conspiracy community. And I liked something you said there about like, Chris, that you said, you know, in a way, maybe it shouldn't be given away to everybody. Like almost, I don't know. I took from that just a hint of, cause I've talked about it before on the show, this idea that the secret societies of the past may have had a good reason of trying to keep the genie in the bottle. Absolutely. Not to say that, all their secrets have to do with psychedelics, but I would say well, psychedelic like sex, drugs and rock and roll. Right. Ancient drum beatings, uh, psychedelics and sex rituals, you know, sure. <laughs> probably what it makes up. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said about that the the point in evolution that we're at right now is that, you know, we are very technologically advanced as far as, um, you know, our endeavors in the, in that world, but we're very spiritually not advanced. Uh, and that's really where you need, uh, the experience under your belt. If you're going to go into the, you know, the potent psychedelic world Mm is you need to have some sense of maturity. I mean, just enough, uh, playfulness obviously is important too, but, um, but like, you know, it's, it's, It's like monkeys with, with atomic bombs. Like you, you you really need to, and I think, I mean, before all of this stuff became, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think all this stuff became legal. uh, I think, the, the, you know, it, all of this stuff was easy enough to get as it is. I, I think the right amount of people were able to have the right amount of connections and nobody really had problems getting the stuff that they wanted. And so availability wise, I, you know, it'll make it easier, but will it make it easier for people who really are dedicated and, and knew where to get it in the first place? Or is it going to make it mm. easy for people to just, as we were talking about earlier, haphazardly spontaneously stumble into a store and go, I'm, I'm going to do a really high amount of this high octane psychedelic just on a whim, you know? Right. And
0: also what does it say? About, like when it, cause it, when you frame it like that, it almost feels like the the only reason to make it legal is so we don't get in trouble by mom yeah, and dad. Exactly. Like that's a disturbing thought to think that like but it's tr I don't know, you painted an interesting picture there, real quick. <laughs> I feel <laughs> the same way about protesting. You know, you're walking through the street. What are you doing? You're just in the living room jumping up and down at mom washing the dishes, like trying to get her to pay attention to you. Like exactly like you're begging for approval, you yeah, know. Yeah, no,
2: and that's the wrong maybe the wrong channel to go through. Just do yeah. your own thing and and just maybe Concentrate more on not getting caught as opposed to asking permission. <laughs> Cause you know what mom and dad's gonna say. Fuck them, you know.
0: Mm. I I also think the, with-
3: I think also <laughs> the way that these things have been introduced in the past 60, 70, 80 years, that those are the concerns for me. You know, when you have the Nazis doing research with psychedelics. You have the United States government doing research with psychedelics, you know, all of these projects and and programs happening with the government, with, you know, world governments. I think that's where I get a little cringy, like, okay, well, if this is something that Adolf Hitler was fucking with and dosing people and, you know, Operation Climax and the CIA doing it with government officials and trying to see how what level of, uh, information they could get in interrogations. I think that's where I get concerned because, okay, these were very specific projects that were being done with the military and with the government, with CIA. Now we're going to have a shop on the corner that has psychedelics has cannabis that is probably 10 times as strong as the cannabis was in the 70s you know in the 70s you're talking maybe 7 to 10 percent THC and now you can get shatter that's like 98 percent THC and I've had I had an edible when I was living in California I got Mm -hmm. I got into my car and I lived in Inglewood and I was driving from the San Fernando Valley. So basically from Encino all the way to uh, Inglewood, which is like an hour drive. And I took a 500 milligram edible and I ate it and I was like, oh, I'll probably start going on, you know, 10 minutes before I get home. And that's cool. Like I can drive 10 minutes fucked up. It's fine. <laughs> Not five minutes later, I'm driving and my head has completely fallen on the steering wheel. And I was now this I'm a lifelong smoker. I've smoked. I don't smoke anymore. But at that point, I had smoked since I was 16. So Mm -hmm. talking 30 plus years of smoking cannabis. And I had never been hit so hard by an edible. And I was like, this shit is, and this is before they changed it where now you can't get an edible. That's more than 200 milligrams. I was like, how am I going to get home? I am hallucinating. Like I was so fucked up and I just thought, and anyone can walk into this store with an ID and get one of these things and get behind the wheel of a vehicle and drive. And
0: it's it's against the law. So they won't do it
3: right exactly just like alcohol just like alcohol (laughs) you know so i think that's the thing that i i i look at is you know i'm a responsible imbiber when i take drugs and alcohol and i put myself in a fucking stupid situation and then i had to get myself home totally fucked up so Mm -hmm. i think as a responsible person, I think of how many irresponsible people have access and then get behind the wheel and they're just like, fuck it. It's going to ride the lightning until I get wherever I'm going, <sighs> you know, but I've known people on Valium that wrecked cars and, you know, had prescriptions and were totally screwed up on a prescription drug. That they got from a doctor and, so, again, what is the solution? Like, how do we navigate these times when they're the powers that be that are coming in that are really influencing people to what to what to what end to sh- to, right. you know, uh, control them or to create uh, civil wars, to create lockdown, to give an, an excuse to lock people down and up like Right. The, the fact that a weed store and a, a liquor store were considered essential businesses, yeah, but I, yeah. I couldn't go get my hair done. <laughs> <but> <laughs> I could go get an ounce if right. I needed. <laughs> like it was just, it would seem so upside down that whole time when when that whole nightmare was happening.
0: Yeah, again, I go back oh. to this like projected utopia that is being built you know it at least that's kind of what it seems like in a way and i i want to think positive i've always wanted them to be legal and i wanted them to you know i wanted everyone to have acts like literally i felt this way and what's interesting do you guys pick up on this that like youth is being honored more in public affairs than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I mean, I'm sure that's kind of a broad topic to talk about, but we're talking psychedelics, you know, uh, just the, the whole liberal culture that we've seen seems to have more influence on public affairs and public opinion these days. Or maybe I'm just, this is my first time experiencing people 15, 20 years younger than me having influence but i don't remember having any sort i remember being pissed off that none of this was happening Mm -hmm. when i was younger so it's just weird and yeah i don't know if there's a question
2: there. no no i I think i know (laughs) what you mean i mean the liberal but the liberal uh vanguard that's kind of running things now is a different one than was uh in place maybe 30 20 30 years ago because this is totally and blatantly been co-opted by the establishment so Like and that, I think maybe that turnaround or the final push for that that may have happened during the whole COVID bullshit. Mm. Um, When the liberals and I've said it a million times, but it just it it is pertinent to what we're saying. The liberals were the ones that were being pushed to do the right thing. They were the ones that were going, you know, I'm for protecting other people because I'm a selfless do gooder. So Mm. then. That turned into being a lockstep, authoritarian, non-questioner, and I didn't like big pharma and I protested Wall Street and so on and so forth. But now I'm, I bl- believe everything politicians and medical officials and big corporations <laughs> that make shitloads of, I mean, outrageously uh, uh, out of proportion profits for drugs that people supposedly need to just break even. Now I believe everything that they all say. So then that kind of cemented this new uh, sort of neoliberalism, I guess is what it's called, which hmm. is, you know, I'm for all inclusiveness. We'll even include crooked politicians and and heads of corporations. And yeah, it's just, it's just a different, it's a different iteration of the kind of liberalism I think that was happening 20, 20, years. 20 30 years ago. Yeah. Totally different beast.
0: Hmm. No, that's an interesting beast? way to think about it. Yeah. Because I, I feel like it's just an advanced version, you know, but For I could sure. be wrong. What were you going
3: to no, say? No. Right? Uh I don't think that 30, 40 years ago uh that I was trying to be part of the establishment. I think that I was really happy being a goth and being a punk rocker and being on the fringes and being on the outside. Uh, I feel like I was able to do more when I didn't try to fit in. Um, I know I had more sex. I know I did more drugs. I know I had, I traveled more. I, I had a fuckload of fun. And now statistically, when you look at people of the same age that I'm talking about, they are having less sex they are not traveling they are not having any experiences in what we would call the default world like out face to face it's all virtual it's all on the computer it is uh, a higher uptick of video gaming and avatar and and this meta this idea of the meta world being better than the real world and I think that that's perhaps the most uh, disturbing aspect of what I see happening what I find interesting is the influence is not the teenager now now it seems to be this obsession with preteens and this Mm. obsession with sexualizing children that are not of the age of consent and certainly not of the age that we should be looking at them as sex objects or sexual beings. So I think that there is a definite element of um, indoctrination in that and of pivoting away and, it's easy to sound like the old fuddy-duddy, like, get off my lawn. It's easy to sound like that, when in reality, what I'm pointing out is when I was 16 years old and 17 years old and going to gay bars and watching drag shows, they were very body, they were very sexual, and there was not a child around. This was not, there was no story time with you know, three-year-olds watching a grown man twerk in fishnets. That shit was not fucking happening at all.
2: And drag queens weren't, they were actually men trying to look like women, not Men trying to look like divine on the worst psychedelic trip you could ever yeah. go. <laughs> yes, you guys know how I mean, John Waters divine. Yes, it's, yes, absolutely. Yeah, like just yeah. exaggerated. I mean, they're fucking nightmarish. Like, yeah, <laughs> like it's you, creepy. You make women look awful by by. Are, that's supposed to be a woman that you're dressing up as. Like, you, that's just right. It's a it, mockery. It's offensive. Yeah. It is.
3: Well, and the offensive part as a woman is observing this and watching heterosexual women sign off on this and be like, this is totally okay," because the people who are supporting these movements, from my experience, are not heterosexual men it's heterosexual women that are saying we have to be inclusive and trans women are women and we need to let them in the bathroom and into sports. And, and there's a very small segment of the population that is actually trying to protect children and protect um, youth in general. And I find those voices to be the most interesting right now, because it's really trying to stem this tide of, Uh, Again, this sexualization that is so fucking inappropriate, it is so inappropriate to have a grown man with an erect penis going into a spa where there's little girls walking around and him saying, I'm a woman, right? (laughs) Well, your penis isn't a woman. so <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you think you are or what you're doing, but you're not in the right space. So I what, my my way of kind of managing this is understanding the dysphoria, gender dysphoria is a real thing. I yes, I believe it's some form of mind control. Yes, I believe that that is happening right now on some strange global scale. But I think we need to create third spaces, third sports. So it's not men competing in women's sports. It's transgender people competing e- against each other in their own sports, having their own bathroom. So I don't believe in inclusion no. and I don't believe in exclusion. I believe that there's a way that we can navigate this where if you're truly trans gender if you're truly transsexual you can be that but you cannot co-opt another gender space you have Mm. to have your own lane you cannot be in women's spaces you cannot be in men's spaces and if the whole idea is like we're special well let's make you special let's right you punch your
0: ticket you can't play on this ride anymore exactly
3: (laughs) i just think i think that sounds
0: very exclusionary but you know
3: well, <laughs> I don't give a fuck because <laughs> I, what I care about is making sure that a little girl is not confronted with a, a reality that they're not ready for. Absolutely it's Fucking
1: right. It's Voice our works, job yeah. to
3: protect children as yes. adults. It's our job. It's not our job to make someone else feel anything. I can't make you feel happy, sad, bad. I can't. But Mm -hmm. this whole uh, movement is, well, this makes me feel uncomfortable and this makes me feel, and you're, you're excluding me. And so I feel this, well, own your feelings.
0: Right. Exactly. It's the opposite of a spiritual movement to be honest. I mean, and a lot of it's mixed in with quote unquote new age. I see these, these things slowly coming together, like being pushed together, all these different topics being pushed and merged. And it's like, well, it's interesting because it's the polar opposite of what you're supposed to do as spiritual growth. You know, it's the opposite of looking within, they're literally just ignoring anything within. That's and I so just, to just to, before I forget um, when I came out of psychedelics initially without any guidance, you know, just my own mind with what I had experienced, you know, I started getting into this, mentality over time that a very good friend of mine was able to kind of pull me out of a little bit. And it was this thing where he basically took me aside and was like, you're so busy saying how this and this and that and this and that are all the same on some level that you're forgetting that on this level, they're all individual things. They're all different. Like you're forgetting this whole self-similarity thing is ruining the individuation of all things as well. Like you're, you're getting to the end of the whole thing without appreciating what everything individually is. And that floored me. And and I've of course remembered it for 20 years now. And I'm wondering, let's get real meta here. Let's suspend our knowledge or, or theories or, or suspicions about the elites and pedophilia and stuff like that. And let's, keep in mind the secret societies that run things and where they go back to and what the psychologies were back then. And we know that these sacred plant medicines were being used then too. Are they trying to do away with duality? Are they trying to kind of project that immature view that everything's the same, ageism doesn't matter. This does no, no uh discernment is important anymore. I, I don't know. It's just a weird thought that keeps nagging at me because all these things they're doing, while they have their independent motives and you know, we think it's satanic or this or that, from a broader standpoint is something broader going on in that in a very you know, uh, a psychedelic conscious sort of way, you know, from an ego point of view, almost. I don't know. That sounds like a lot of uh, word salad, but what do you think? What do you think?
2: i, I got a great dressing to put on top of all that. No. <laughs> um, I think that one of the tenets of postmodernism, which is uh, kind of the philosophy that a lot of this is, is stemming from, is that everything is relative, uh, which is true. Everything is relative, but it's, and that, but but they take that the subjectivity slice of that, and they take it to the nth degree. So there's no absolutes. There's no objective reality. Um, and that you know, there's that's, in a sense, there are very big aspects of reality that aren't objective. They are very subjective, and they are influenced by the perceiver. But by what I mean by they take that to the nth degree is they take it to into the realm of biology, for instance, with genders and it's all relative. It's all a social construct. Everything is a social construct. Math is racist. I mean, they're taking they're putting that into the hall of mirrors and timesing it by a million and without anything to replace it like. It would be interest. It would be one thing to call this stuff out and then go, what we really need to do is concentrate on blah, 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 and have mm. some sort of place, a foundation to build something new on. But it's more like just exploding things into chaos, saying everything is meaningless, raising it all to the ground without having a goddamn thing to replace it with. So you have a lot of misguided, uh, I mean, it's it's called inclusivity, but I think it's it's really just a kind of a an outwardly aimed narcissism. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, is, is, am I making any sense? Do yes. You know
3: yes. I, I think that there is an agenda and there is a very specific plan. What the the initial destruction has been the destruction of the family. That was step mm, one. Sure now it's the destruction of uh the binary morals Ma- well yes. sure for sure <laughs> and these are all all those together these are all these all work together then it is the binary male and female so now we don't have male and female we have just kind of a mishmash of kaleidoscope both. Right. Dragons. The idea, ultimately, the idea uh, I would posit is that is this is a post-human movement. Mm. So the idea is that humans are, are outmoded. They're not necessary. We can uh, have machines do our learning, do our, uh, basically every job that's under $20 an hour will be gone In another 25 years, this is what people are, are hypothesizing. Uh, But I, I think that the ultimate intention is obviously the depopulation of the earth, uh, because there's not a lack of resources. There's not a lack of land. We have an abundance of resources. We have an abundance of land but the people you call elites i call predators and sure. what their yeah. intention Parasites. is is sure. to, absolutely is to destroy humanity and then in its place replace it with this hive mind Right. So I think that's ultimately what the intention is. Is there, I
1: mean, is is there manufactured a, singularity?
0: But is there is in that scenario, in your view, is there a group that remains outside of that and just has their playground? Is that what you're suggesting? Or would they become a part of that too?
3: I think that, you know, what we have seen from you know, just the some of the people who have uh been lost along the way i don't think anyone is safe i think there is a a shelf life for every human uh so i think people the the sales pitch when you get to a certain level in this predatory race is that you will be one of the few one of the chosen but even those people disappear even those people Mm. end up dying so I, i don't know that there will be someone of the human race left. I think there's another layer above that that could be parasitic. It could be reptilian. It could be um, extra or internal terrestrial because I don't necessarily think that the, the reptilian race comes from another planet. I think it comes from inside this planet. Crypto-S3. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that there are layers of... Uh, this hierarchy that we uh, can't even begin to understand. So we think the Rothschilds are in charge. They ain't in charge. (laughs) We think that the Medici family, the Medici's aren't in charge. There's some other... Uh, Some people would call it satanic, demonic, nebulous energy that is running the show. And these are just the puppets that basically do that energy's bidding. Mm.
1: So check out this perspective to flip it completely upside down. I like Mm it. Um, So all of the evil is really ultimately happening for good. Because good always wins out in the end of every story, mm-hmm. just about. But mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, like everything bad is happening just to wake everyone up to be like, oh, yeah, that's that's no good. Just get that out of here. Mm-hmm. And then
0: boom, consciousness shift. Could that <laughs> be Marquise happening detection? on like an ontological level, too? Like, <laughs> like we're part of a big picture that's beautiful, but in in the details there's all these fiery areas and yeah. stuff like that you yeah know. Oh, and we're getting close to our little red button here shane,
3: <laughs> shane and i have
0: this red button when we've reached the, the the psychedelic end of the the spiral where it's suddenly everything is i and i is everything and brahman <laughs> is the world and suddenly well mm-hmm. brahman's doing all of this and uh and it, I wonder because yeah, in the, the spirit of our, of our psychedelic union here that we all appreciate uh, you know, I know that Shane and I have talked about this at depths about how that universal law of one and you know, one consciousness and how, of course the parasites, the predators, the new age, whatever angle you want to look at it, they love hijacking these words like oneness and interconnected and all, all that. But of course that's only because it works because there's a reality to those things as well. And I just, I'm curious, like where do these reptilians elites parasites with their master plan to destroy and, and who wants this robot to take over unless there's someone on the outside like uh, living a playboy life, benefiting from a slave race or a robotic Uh, hive mind to serve them or something i I don't know but where does that all fit into the idea of possibly that all of this is one consciousness possibly i don't know if you subscribe to that anyway i'm just saying that that's a powerful and very ancient idea and so Mm -hmm. i'm curious what your thoughts might be how that plays into it
2: do you know how to apprehend that
3: sure <laughs> I, I, I figured you did i'm still
2: I'm putting something together so I, i'm doing
3: i think that there is you know if you look at the yin and the yang and this is so pedestrian to say this because it's so simplistic but if you look at the totality of this symbology there is a little bit of black in the white and there's a little bit of white in the black so you know, from a very rudimentary perspective, you cannot know good unless you know evil. You mm. have to have that. That is part of the karmic balance and the karmic da- dance. I think that we have ca- gone so far out of balance and out of that dance that there will be some rejiggering or, or recalibration to even things out. Mm. Ultimately, if these fuckers wanted us dead, we'd all be dead, right? If, if if they wanted to drop a nuke, that would have happened already. But there's something that is preventing these things it's that is thwarting their plans. What I have found interesting in the past three years was I was so fascinated at how compliant people were. when it came to the masking, when it came to the lockdown, when it came to shutting people up, because of the brainwashing mechanism of how this all started, you don't want to kill grandma. You don't want to kill grandma. And if you go outside, you're going to kill grandma. If you don't wear a mask, you're well, my grandma was a fucking demon. And I was okay (laughs) with my grandma. My grandma's dead, thank God. But... (laughs) That didn't work for me. So when that whole thing started, I was like, are people really buying this bullshit? They they don't care
0: about your, they don't care about the elderly. (laughs)
3: Like it was so, it was so insane that that worked for the average person because what they're trying to appeal to is your sense of goodness your sense of righteousness, of wanting to do the right thing, of being a decent human, as Chris said. So that was the, the trick. That was the slippery slope that they used to get into people's psyches. And it worked. And I think when all of this happened, what really concretized my relationship with Chris was that he was like, this is all bullshit. Like yeah. I can't believe people are doing this. And I was like, thank God, thank God. I'm not the only person that sees this. And then my partner understands this fucking insanity yeah. because had he not, then it becomes Stepford wives where you're like, okay, everyone is a robot. Everyone buys yeah. this bullshit. And I'm the only one who's awake. So I think it solidified our relationship because we understood kind of what was going on. And I think that it's what you're saying, Shane, enough people woke up that needed to be kind of knocked off the fence. Like they were the people who were like, yeah, the government's bullshit, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I need to keep my benefits and I need to keep my job. So I'm not going to stir it up too much. But when it came down to But am i gonna get this jab am i gonna do this to keep my job there's a lot of people who are pissed because they ended up doing it so i think those people who have lost people who just died suddenly i think those are the people that are really becoming more engaged
0: yeah absolutely yeah it's like a whole new wave perhaps such a dangerous thing, too. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, please. You want to put something together.
2: Speaking to what Shane was saying about uh, this good, or this all of this bad stuff pushing people into some sort of a more aware state, I think that there's something totally to that. I think that all of this, I mean, I, I think the Hindus called it yugas, and we're in the Kali yuga now, and I think there's mm-hmm. cycles of, I want to say 26,000 years, maybe it's 6,000 mm-hmm. years, I don't recall the figures. Yeah. Uh, 26. Okay. And we're t- drawing near the end of that. And at which I think one of the symptoms of that is some wild pendulum swinging back and forth. And we're seeing a lot of that shit right now, but it's weird. It almost sometimes seems like there's two pendulums. Like, one is swinging further to the darkness and one is swinging further to the lightness but maybe that's just the same one going back and forth i don't know maybe, maybe it's getting quicker maybe it's getting quicker uh but i think that the natural order of the universe is to find balance uh mm-hmm. because harmony i mean you look in nature harmony is how it works until you know the wolf eats the rabbit or whatever it's not so harmonious for the rabbit but any
0: anything that's disharmonious from a grander point of view ends up being harmonious once again to a greater Absolutely. scale right yes. yeah
2: yeah which is what i was going to get at oh, sorry. <laughs> zoom, no 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 not at all the, the farther you zoom out the more it i think it makes some sort of sense because we're very very close to the subject matter which is our lives and things that are happening in our lives and our families and communities lives and this planet, for for instance, or realm, whatever you want to call it, um, so I think it gets it's easy to get lost in that. easy to get lost in it because we're in the middle of the weird, abstract, Hieronymus Bosch painting that seems like it's been <laughs> going on forever and it's going to go on forever more. But I think the the farther away you get out, the more you can probably see that there's something else ha- happening, and it is finding the equilibrium that will eventually get us to a place where the pendulum is more in the middle and there is more harmony. Although, you know, then there, there are people, a lot of Eastern philosophy will point you in their direction that you need dualism, that you need conflict Mm -hmm. and, and to grow and to push you and to do. So I don't know. I don't know if there's an escape out of that. I don't know if the physical realm is the place where you work, dual is this dualistic stuff like that out and then you maybe you graduate or finally Mm. say fuck it i'm done with this and then you go somewhere else i'm not sure how that works do you guys have any thoughts on that
0: well then you have the deeper buddhist aspect of that it's just all a mirror
3: (laughs) (laughs) well and we don't know what agreement that that rabbit made with the wolf Yes. See that from a karmic perspective, Uh we can say, Oh, poor rabbit, but maybe that's part of that rabbit's karma to be reincarnated into another being. And so it made the agreement with the wolf to be eaten. And, and maybe what we have to shift is our judgment of these things.
2: And if you look at all of these like suits that we're temporarily wearing and we're playing different roles and we're coming back and we're switching and so on and so forth, And that rabbit is just a flash in the pan. Something will get the wolf. The moose will get the wolf or, you know, it's just a chain reaction. It's again, a bigger picture and there's tons of moving parts. And sometimes it's really hard to see from our finite point of view. And And this is the
0: hardest. Oh, go ahead, Shane.
1: My perspective on it. uh, I'll just give you my whole perspective on existence. Uh, You know, I think, uh, you know, duality and singularity are both happening at the same time. I think everything. That ever happened ever will happen ever could happen is all happening right now so you know the big bang if you want to call it it's like boom it's happening every single instant is the reason why duality starts um so yeah everything in between basically everything you just said yeah all, <laughs> all a manifestation
0: yeah, yeah yeah it's so interesting because that you can extrapolate that to a bigger playing field and and you you have people saying well what about all the dying people and what about all the poor everyone's suffering in the world like how do you like you can it's so easy for us sometimes uh or at least this is the standpoint that it's easy for some of us to be able to look from our vantage point and say that ah yeah everything is perfectly in, in balance uh you know, if you can look at it from that higher point of view and then people freak out about all the suffering in the world. And it is, it's a difficult conversation. I think that's the, the that's a, where a lot of conflict may come from in our big, deep philosophical talks in humanity, because we're kind of missing each other. Some of us mm-hmm. are thinking from that broader perspective and yep. some of us aren't or can't. And yeah, it's interesting how we're just in this big salad bowl and all of us are on those different levels and they're not greater or, or lesser. They're just different levels, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to communicate all together. We're all trying to communicate the same thing, but it,
3: it's a very difficult task to do. But, um, and yeah. Go
2: ahead.
3: I, I go back to something that one of my mentors many years ago said about charity and the perspective of charity and what charity is about. And so much of the aspect of charity has to do with the onlooker. So, so much of that is the ego. Like I'm a good person. I donated to Red Cross when there was a hurricane and I gave money. And so then I'm gonna put that on social media so everyone knows that I'm good because I have to prove that to the world. When in reality, what a lot of that is saying is, and again, this is my perspective, what you're saying is I'm in a better place than you are. Mm. So I'm better than you are. So I can help you. Well, maybe what you're doing isn't really helping someone. Maybe what you're doing is you're satisfying this ego need to look charitable, but in reality, that. Whatever that gesture is, A isn't getting to that person because these organizations are full of corruption and they're, you know, padding, you know, the Black Lives Matter, for example, was a totally corrupted organization Mm. where this woman's buying $11 million mansions in California and not giving shit for money to these, uh, you know, these little small versions of that organization. (laughs) Yeah. She wasn't basically, she wasn't helping the people that she was collecting this money for. So I think that's part of it is that this absolute power becomes absolutely corrupting. But again, what are you doing for someone really when you're giving them money? Let's say it's a homeless person. You see someone on the street and they say they hold up a sign that says need money for weed, need money. And I see this all the time. Need money for booze, need money for food, need have no home, have three kids. You know, uh, the litany of of excuses for someone not to work, but to go and stand on the street and hold a sign. Right. Uh, wh- what are you doing by just giving that person money and not? Ignoring them, not uh, giving them food instead of money, you know, how are you, are you reinforcing that cycle of their poverty or Mm -hmm. are you doing something, it's a gesture for the grander good where you know, God looks at you and says, okay, well, you gave to this person. So I'm going to put a little red check next to your name. Cause I know that you're a decent human being that yeah. you can ignore suffering. Mm. So I think that has a lot to do with this is that we have to really understand, are we throwing something further out of balance by engaging or trying to intervene? Or are we creating more balance by intervening? yeah i don't know what do you guys that's a
0: good think? question there's also the idea that's like there's no escaping the vanity like because even if you're doing something out of the pure goodness of your heart and just say it's like doing something nice for a total stranger well you're sure you're doing that to help them but why are you doing that to help them okay so they will do better okay but why does that matter Well, oh, it makes me feel better like at the end of the line, no matter how many steps you put in there, you're going to come back to. And that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's no. it's kind of a loop. I don't no know if there's what. anything wrong with that. No, nothing wrong but, with that at all. Um,
1: I was going to say, you know, people are trying to be compassionate, but tough love is also being compassionate.
0: Yeah. Someone argue yeah. more. So yes.
1: I had a
3: friend. I had, I had a friend who owned a coffee shop and people would come in all the time. I was living in Austin, and they would ask him for free coffee or money or, you know, and he would go, he would say this, he would look them dead in the eye and say, I am the pain provider. I'm not going to give you anything. No, the answer's no. No free lunch here. No free coffee. No. Because In his mind, what he was saying, and I just always found this so fascinating because this guy had a shit ton of money, but his attitude was, I had to work for every dollar I have, no one gave me shit, and you know what, if people keep giving this person money, food, there's no motivation for them to get out of this cycle of poverty. So right. all we are doing is reinforcing and re-entrenching this person's stuck or
2: Or making it easier for them not to be pushed to a place where they have to choose, like, do I keep doing this or do I get the fuck out of this cycle and do something different because either way, whether you give them money or not, they're either going to continue to do what they're doing or they're not. So the money is just a, a way to buy the, the easy, uh, the easy way of that intersection. I'm like, okay, well, I, I don't have to think about it for one more day. Cause I've got this money. I don't have to yeah, think the about s-
0: the sign should say, need money to eliminate choices. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, and, and I've talked to some people who are in that situation and they're like, I make 300 bucks a day
0: <laughs> Yeah,
3: begging you know, like just being on the street and being drunk. You know, it's like I make $300 a day. That's more money than some attorneys make in some little towns, right. you know. So, you know, again, what are they doing? They are appealing to people's sense of goodness and they're yeah. taking advantage of someone else that is a decent human being who maybe is naive or maybe doesn't understand the system or where that that whole system works. So, well, this what is the way. beast yeah yeah
0: this is the beast and i think that's why the ancients wrote it the way they did because they know that when we really needed this information we would still be in that very supernatural terrified state of humanity that needed big bad scary monsters to try to lure us back into the right path perhaps i don't know just a weird thought i just had.
2: yeah
3: yeah yeah. well i've been soft mugged before have you ever been soft where where you'll be out this used to happen to me in new york all the time and it also happened in chicago where someone would come up and be like hey do you have you got a quarter you gotta <sighs> you know and then you open up your wall you know this is before i knew what the fuck to how to handle these situations do you have a quarter um well no all i have is five bucks well can i have it oh. sure you know and then hey but you have more than five bucks i'm really hungry like and i need to play and if i had 50 bucks then i could get a hotel for tonight oh man I'm like basically giving all of my money away because this person goes oh here's a mark mm-hmm. someone i can take advantage yes. of mm-hmm. who maybe thinks i might punch them if they say no mm-hmm. she's just gonna sounds go sounds very and-
0: biblical yeah. <laughs>
3: You know? Yeah, soft mugging it happens wow yeah <laughs> it sounds oh, like yeah. a scam it sounds
0: like it, it, totally it just take that on like a bigger fractal level and you're just talking about the government <laughs> so- <laughs> oh,
3: gypsies, gypsies right. yeah. they do that all the time and then drive away in a mercedes i'm like right <laughs>
0: oh man <laughs> well this has been really awesome having you guys on and I appreciate your perspectives on all this stuff. I really do. And okay. uh, before I let you go, please let my audience know where they can find you.
2: The easiest place to go would be the dot podcast.net and pretty much uh, the top menu there is where you can find most of the places that we're at. Um, you can listen to our episodes there and, I think even download them. We have a YouTube channel. We're on Instagram. We are slowly making our way to locals and subscribe star because Patreon sucks. We are on (laughs) Patreon too at the moment. But yeah, we have tons of links. I can send them to you and you can put them in the episode notes if you'd like.
0: Excellent. Absolutely. Well, everybody... Yeah, Hunter, go ahead if you have.
3: Oh, you can, anyone that wants to uh, criticize (laughs) me, please feel free to, I love it, I love I hate, I hate just constant praise. Like, love me, love me. It's like, no, like I want, I want product. challenge. I, want, I exactly. I want to be better at what yes. I do and the way that you get better is by people challenging your ideas and your perspectives. So if anyone wants to email me, you can reach me at hunter hyphen muse at protonmail.com. And I love you guys. Thank you so much for having us yes. on. Likewise. It's been absolutely amazing. I love your listeners. I'm sure you've got some really cool people people listening so thank you thank you thank you very much for having us
2: yeah good to meet you shane yes excellent
1: meeting both of you
3: yes likewise
0: and shane of course thank you so much for joining us again bro love having having your brother shane and i do a patreon show together called the deep end where we basically just shoot the shit and watch clips and get into all sorts of weirdness who talk knows about what the big red week button week. talk about that big red button yeah of course that comes around quite a bit it cool. becomes a little bit of an echo chamber here and there so we like to <laughs> but uh yeah it was really great having you guys it's always fun talking to you and yeah. uh yeah everybody go check out the melt podcast if you don't already and uh see you next time thanks for being with us right. thank you
2: farewell